All right, so we are in John 14 to 16 this morning. We're going to begin in John 13, 33. If you are using the Bible in the seat back in front of you, it's on page 763 in that Bible. Um, if you're using your own Bible, John 13, 33, and we'll kind of be jumping around in John 14 to 16. We can't cover all of it, but hopefully we'll hit the highlights. You know, sometimes it's better not to have Jesus around. Sometimes it's better if Jesus just leaves the house. Jesus himself said that. Do you realize that? The setting was an upper room somewhere in Jerusalem. It was evening, the lights were low. And uh, Jesus and his closest followers were enjoying some private um, alone time together. They were celebrating one of the most important festivals in the Jewish tradition, the Passover festival. This was a meal when the Jewish people remembered their past captivity and their suffering in Egypt and how their God had mercifully and powerfully brought them out of Egypt and given them their freedom, bringing them out of the furnace of affliction into the wide open space of God's salvation. And now in the midst of this remembrance there in the upper room, Jesus had begun preparing his followers for the fact that he was about to bring about a similar act of redemption for them, and in fact, for the whole world. And he was preparing them also for the fact that bringing about this salvation would require him to leave them. My children, he told them, I will be with you only a little longer. Where I'm going, you cannot come. Leaving us, Jesus? We can't come with you. We've left everything to follow you. We have sacrificed our lives, our livelihoods. We've banked our reputations and our futures on you. And now you're going to leave us? We love you since we've known you. We've come alive like never before. It's like our eyes have been opened without you. We're empty. We're lost. How can you leave us? And Jesus responds in chapter 14, 26, Do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not be afraid. Jesus' followers were troubled. Troubled. In the original Greek, this is a strong word. It suggests being stirred, being shaken, being agitated. Today we might say that their world was being rocked. That they were being shaken to the core. Can you blame them? I mean, I have a little idea of how they must have felt. When I was in high school, I, I can still remember the feeling I had the day that my best friend came to me in tears and told me that in a few months, she and her family would be moving halfway across the country. I was devastated. I ex remember experiencing this feeling again more recently, several years ago, when it became more and more evident that my dad's cancer was going to take his life. I wasn't prepared. I depended on my dad. I had plans with him. He was my children's grandfather. We needed him. He was the pillar that held up our extended family. If we lost him, everything would shudder and quake. Well, look at what Jesus says to his followers who, who felt this way, who needed him, who, who depended on him, and who were troubled and afraid. He says over in chapter 16, verses 6 and 7, 
you are, are filled with grief because I have said these things. But very truly, I tell you, it is for your good that I am going away. It is for your good that I'm going away. Good that Jesus is leaving? How can this be? How could it be good for Jesus to leave us? I mean, I'm, I'm jealous of those folks who lived in Galilee 2,000 years ago who got to meet Jesus face to face, to, to hear his voice, to feel his touch, to see his miracles, to be in his presence. I would love to be with Jesus, and, and, and Jesus' followers got to experience that. And here Jesus was telling them that it was for his good that he was going away from them. How could this be? Well, immediately in the next part of the verse, Jesus gives the answer. 16, verse 7. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Jesus said that it's good, that it's better, that he goes away, because when he goes, he will send the advocate. Who's the advocate? Or depending on the translation of the Bible you have, who's the counselor, the, the comforter, the helper? Jesus tells us down in John 14, 17, and 26 that he's talking about the spirit of truth here, the Holy Spirit. And the Greek word that Jesus uses here, translated advocate in my Bible, is uh, parakletos. Theologians bring it into English with the word paraclete, not parakeet. My, uh, my mentor, Daryl Johnson, who, again, I'm borrowing some from the, this morning and what I'm sharing with you, tells about a time he was preaching on the Holy Spirit and, and one of the older ladies in his church who was harder of hearing came up to him after the sermon and said, Pastor, I'm so confused. I always thought the Holy Spirit was like a dove and, and here all morning you've been talking about him as the parakeet. <laughs> the paraclete. It's a hard word to translate with just one English word because the paraclete is so many things. He's a comforter. He's a counselor. He's a helper. He's an advocate. He's a friend. The, the J.B. Phillips translation maybe gets closest to what this word means with the paraphrase, he's someone to stand by you. Someone to stand by you. The, the verb form of this word, which is parakaleo, gives a sense of, of what this one who stands by us does. This verb is used in the New Testament in many ways. To, to call in, to send for, to exhort, to encourage, to comfort, to strengthen, to console, to convict, to convince. Jesus is insisting that it's good that he goes away because when he goes away, he will send the paraclete who will do for us all these things and more. The paraclete is, is one to be with us, one to stand beside us when Jesus is absent so that we will not be alone. But I ask again, how can this be better? If you're like me, you long to know Jesus face to face, to feel his touch, to, to be in his presence. We'd like, to, we'd like to see him face to face. We'd like to uh, um, ask him questions. We'd, we'd like to get that hug that we so badly need. 
How can it be better that he goes away and sends us the paraclete? Well, for the rest of our time this morning, let's answer this question. Let's answer it in five ways. Five ways that Jesus answers it as he consoles his followers that evening up in the upper room. All right, so first, we learn in John 14 to 16 that the paraclete is a person. The paraclete is not an it. The paraclete is a person. Now, this is maybe hard for us to grasp. We can, we can picture God the Father as a person. We can imagine Jesus the Son as a person. That, 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 that makes sense. But, but when we picture a spirit, we don't naturally picture a person. Yet, as we'll see, the spirit, this spirit is so personal that he is an appropriate substitute for Jesus himself. If we look at the rest of the New Testament, we see just how personal this spirit is. In the book of Acts, the spirit speaks, is lied to, forbids, is tested, bears witness, snatches, gives orders, forbids, appoints, is resisted, sends, thinks, prevents. In the New Testament letters, the Spirit helps us pray, searches our hearts, leads, speaks, teaches, knows, predicts, groans, can be grieved. The Holy Spirit is a person. But why is this so significant? Why does it matter so much that we think of the Holy Spirit as a person and not an it? Well, for one thing, remembering that the Holy Spirit is a person reminds us that the Spirit is not a thing to be manipulated. The Spirit is not merely a power or, or a force that we can use or call down for our purposes or agendas. I once attended a church where the, the Holy Spirit was treated like some sort of holy force that could be called down on people to make them fall down or feel a certain way or, or receive a certain blessing. As a friend of mine jokingly put it, watch the preacher toss the third person of the Trinity into the choir loft. Now, I'm not making fun of, of that tradition, of the charismatic or Pentecostal tradition. There are a lot of wonderful things about this tradition, but in that particular church, the Holy Spirit was being manipulated as if it was an it and not a person. But the Holy Spirit is not a force or a power that we can tap into like they do on Star Wars to accomplish our own aims and intentions, however noble they may be, the Holy Spirit is a person with an agenda of His own. And we are invited to get into step with that agenda and that purpose. We're invited to get to know and to relate to this person, which leads us to the second lesson that Jesus teaches us about the Spirit. And that is that He's another paraclete. John 14, 16, Jesus says, I will ask the Father and he will give you another paraclete. Another. Now there's two words for another in Greek. One is heteros, which means another of a different kind. And that's not the word Jesus uses here. Jesus uses the word alos. Alos refers to another of the same kind. The Holy Spirit is another paraclete of the same kind as the first paraclete. And who's the first paraclete? Jesus. Jesus was the first paraclete, the first person whom God sent to stand by us. To comfort, to exhort, to encourage, to help, to strengthen, to console, to convict, to convince. 
And now that Jesus must leave, God will send another paraclete, another of the same kind. In other words, to quote Daryl Johnson here, when the paraclete comes to the disciples, they do not meet a stranger. They know him. In fact, the presence of the Holy Spirit is the presence of Jesus. Listen to what Jesus says in uh, 14.18 about his promises that the Holy Spirit will come. He says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. The world won't see me anymore, but you will see me. Did you hear that? I will come to you, Jesus says. You will see me. In other words, when the paraclete comes to us, Jesus comes to us. Remember what I said last week, if you don't have the Holy Spirit, you don't have Jesus. And what has this other paraclete come to do? To continue the presence, the work, the ministry of Jesus. In John 14, 26, Jesus says, the paraclete will remind you of everything I have said to you. In 15, 26, that the paraclete will testify about me. In 16.14, that the paraclete will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. In other words, the Holy Spirit's ministry is to take a big spotlight and to shine it on Jesus. You can't separate the person and work of the Spirit from the person and work of Jesus. Further, you also can't separate the person and work of the Holy Spirit from the person and work of God the Father. John 14, 16, Jesus says, the Father is the one who gives the Spirit. In 15, 26, that the Spirit goes out from the Father. The Spirit is the Father's Spirit just as much as He is Jesus' Spirit. And so in John 14, 23, Jesus says to His followers, my Father will love them, and we, He says of His followers, He's not, He's talking about them. My Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. We will come to them and make our home with them, Father and Jesus. This is because God the Father, Jesus the Son, and the Holy Spirit are all one. And Jesus says in John 14, 11, I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. And now we learn that when the Holy Spirit comes to us, we have both the Father and the Son. To know the one is to know the others. To experience the presence in the ministry of one is to experience the others. This is the amazing mystery of the Trinity. The three are one, and the one is three. When the paraclete comes to us, we experience the power, the presence, and the love of none other than God the Father and Jesus the Son. All right, let's move on to the third lesson about the paraclete. And that is that if we have placed our faith in Jesus Christ, then the paraclete is with us forever. John 14, 16. The Holy Spirit will be with us forever. And therefore, the Father and Son are with us forever. Now let's stop for a minute and think how significant this is. When Jesus walked this earth in the flesh, his ministry was significantly limited by that flesh. 
If Jesus was in Jerusalem, he couldn't at the same time be in Galilee. That's one of the reasons he sent out his disciples two by two to help him spread the message. And he asked them to pray for more workers to be sent out into the harvest field. Jesus could have done it better himself. But Jesus couldn't be in Capernaum when he was in Bethsaida. That's why he called up other workers. He was limited by the flesh. And imagine if Jesus was still with us in the flesh. Can, can you imagine? We all have to fly to Jerusalem and get in line to see him. Can you imagine how long the line would be? Or if Jesus went on tour, we'd, we'd have to wait till he got to our city. And, and if he was in Beijing when we needed him in New York, what would we do? So Jesus said, it's good that I'm going away because when I go, the paraclete will come and he will be with you forever. With you. Do you know what that means? It means Jesus is no longer bound by geography or schedule. Jesus can be present with us at the same time that he's present down the street at the Pentecostal church or at the Episcopal church or in a backyard gathering of friends. It used to be that Jesus could only be at one place at a time, but now he can come to each of us every day and he can stay with us forever. But it gets even better. Let's look at the fourth lesson about the paraclete. And that is that the Holy Spirit came not just to be with us, he came to be in us. John 14, 17. Jesus says, you know him for he lives with you and will be in you. Jesus was saying this to his followers who were there that night in the upper room. He was saying, you already know the paraclete, for he is with you. That is, in other words, the Holy Spirit is with you in me and in my ministry. But when I go away, he will not just be with you, he will be in you. In you. The paraclete can be in us. Do you ever wish you could get inside someone's head and make them understand? Spouses? <laughs> Parents? Children? <laughs> Do you ever wish you could reach inside someone's heart and just give it a tweak or two to fix up their character a bit? Have you ever loved someone so much that you wanted to just crawl inside of them and feel that intimacy? That's the level of closeness that we can share with Jesus when we have the Holy Spirit in us. The theologian Emil Bruner put this strikingly. He said, and I'm paraphrasing here, when we talk about Jesus, we are remembering that amazing good news that God came all the way down to earth in the person of Jesus 2,000 years ago. God was no longer far up. Now God was, was up close and personal. But when we talk about the Holy Spirit, Bruner says, it gets even better. Because with the coming of the paraclete, and now I'm quoting Bruner, the then becomes today, the there becomes here, the without becomes within, the Christ for us becomes Christ in us. Isn't that amazing? I'll say it again. <laughs> With the coming of the paraclete, the then becomes today, the there becomes here, the without becomes within, the Christ for us becomes Christ in us. 
the good news of the gospel. If our faith is in Jesus Christ, then God has come to dwell in us. Could he come any closer? How does 1 Corinthians 3.16 put it? Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst? And in 1 Corinthians 6.19, do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? Wow. All right, let's move on finally to the fifth lesson as we talk about the significance of the paraclete coming to be in us. And this has to do with the character of the paraclete and how this is manifest in us when the Holy Spirit comes to dwell in us. Jesus mentions two qualities that he describes uh, the paraclete as having. Holiness and truth. First in 14.26, Jesus calls him the Holy Spirit. Holiness involves two interrelated qualities. First, it involves distinctiveness, separateness, and otherness. It's holy, it's not common, it's separate, it's distinct. Holiness also involves radiant purity, utter cleanness and, and goodness. And God himself is holy. God is, is utterly separate and, and other from us. And God is completely pure and good. So what happens when the Holy Spirit brings God's own holy presence within us, fallible creatures, tainted and corrupted as our hearts are? What happens? Well, there's going to be a reaction, a disturbance, don't you think? <laughs> How does the saying go? God comes to comfort the afflicted and to afflict or to disturb the comfortable. God says to us that we are to be holy as God is holy. And then God's own Holy Spirit comes to dwell within us, to make it happen. But it's not always a nice, easy, smooth process, as Terence reminded us in his prayer this morning about the storm. The paraclete works in us a holy discontent with the way things are. We find ourselves grieving and, and longing when we see what's going on in the world around us. And in the people around us, and even in the church around us. But especially, we find ourselves grieving and longing when we realize what's going on in our own life, inside of us. That's the work of the paraclete. That's the presence of the Holy One seeking to make us holy. And he does it from the inside out. He, he starts working on our deep motives, on our, on our inner hearts. He starts nudging us and, and pushing us and, and moving us to change. He won't let us rest with the way things are. Boy, if you can go month in and month out in your Christian life and, and you think you're, you're going along, you're doing just fine, and you don't uh, feel any need or impetus to, to keep growing and keep maturing, then I don't care how many years you've been a Christian, it's not because you've arrived, it's because you're out of touch with the paraclete. The paraclete comes to transform us, to make us holy, not in a superficial put-on way, but in a true, genuine, from-the-heart way. Listen to how Daryl Johnson puts it. I'll say this twice, too. This is good. He says, We do not become holy... By observing holy laws, we become holy by being indwelt with a holy presence. 
We do not become holy by observing holy laws. We become holy by being indwelt by a holy presence from the inside out. The amazing thing is that the holy God can dwell in us while we're still unholy. That's the grace of God. That's the work of Christ. That's sheer grace. Well, not only is the, the paraclete the Holy Spirit, but second, he's also the spirit of truth. 14, 17. John 14, 17. The spirit is truthful. There's no deception, no cover-ups, no half-truths with the paraclete. The spirit longs for things to be seen and admitted for what they really are. The spirit comes to shine a searchlight in dark places. To throw the blinds open and, and let the sunshine into dismal and shadowy rooms in our minds and hearts. To, to shine a light in dark corners and, and closets where things are hiding and festering. Not to embarrass us, not to humiliate us, not, not any of those things, but, but because it's, it's only when we stop hiding and we stop pretending that we can be truly free. The spirit of truth wants us to, to face our past and our, our secrets and our, our hidden places so that we can be forgiven. So, so that the guilt and the shame can be washed away so that God can heal and redeem and so that we can finally move on. Because the paraclete knows that, that whatever we're hiding, we are slaves to. A former professor of mine once told me about a man that he'd known, a Christian man who once went on a business trip to another city, and while he was there, he was propositioned by a call girl service who offered to send a woman up to his hotel room. And he had an okay marriage, not a great one, but a decent one, and he'd never been unfaithful before. But, but something inside of him said, well, why not just this once? No one will know. And so he went for it, and, and when she arrived and he opened the door, to his horror, the young woman standing at his hotel door was his own estranged wayward daughter who had been trying to, was trying to put herself through school in that city. Can you imagine? Well, he couldn't bear to confess this to his wife. And so for the rest of this man's life, he lived as a slave to his daughter and to their secret. Whatever she wanted, whenever she needed money, he was her slave. Otherwise, she'd tell mom. That's the way denial and our hidden secrets enslave us in darkness. They, they're like parasites. They suck our life. They, they, um, they stunt our growth. They rob our joy and our happiness. But the spirit of truth comes to bring us into the truth. Because the truth, as much as it might hurt in the short term, will ultimately set us free. And then the spirit of truth leads us to the feet of the one who is truth, Jesus himself. Jesus is true. Jesus is dependable. Jesus is the real deal. No charades, no pretending, no masks, no being something you're not. Jesus is real. Jesus is reality. And you can trust him. 
And Jesus will teach you to walk with him in truth, free, clean, genuine. That is why it's better that Jesus has gone away. Because because he has come, the paraclete is here.